Thank you so much, choir, for leading us in worship today. America is running on the momentum of a godly ancestry. And when the momentum goes, God help America. Those words are quite startling and insightful all at the same time. America is running on the momentum of a godly ancestry. And when the momentum goes, God help America. Those words were spoken by the theologian J. Gresham Machen. J. Gresham Machen passed away in 1937. If Machen was correct, where does that leave us in 2012, so many years later? Has the momentum run out? Well, in many ways, it appears that it has. We find everywhere we turn that godlessness and sin is running rampant. It is practiced, it is lauded, it is celebrated, it's even rewarded. So where does that leave us today? Where does that leave those of us who love God, who love righteousness, who love holiness? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? Are we supposed to go into hiding? Are we supposed to go into isolation? Are we to throw up our hands in despair and, and just give up and say, well, it's just useless? Are we, are we to allow our lives and our attitudes to sour? And we're supposed to just spend our days rehearsing and bemoaning how bad things have become in our country. Now, all of those are important questions to consider, wouldn't you agree? I mean, the issues that we face today are very real. Well, thankfully, we're not left to our own devices. We're not left to ourselves to figure everything out. We have the word of God and we have the spirit of God. And my prayer today is they will teach us how to live as Americans in the day in which we find ourselves. So if you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Psalms and find Psalm 12. We're continuing our series today, Summer in the Psalms. We find today Psalm 12. And we're going to read uh, all of Psalm 12. It's only eight verses. And if you're like me, when you read Psalm 12, we read it today, you're going to think about America. You're going to think about the day in which we live. So if you have Psalm 12, we'll read it and see what God has for us here. Psalm 12. And we'll begin reading there at verse 1. You see it's to the chief musician on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. Psalm 12, verse 1 says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. And the tongue that speaks proud things who have said with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Verse five says for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. 
And as I looked at that psalm, I simply outlined it in two points. We have, number one, the faithlessness of man. And point number two, the faithfulness of God. The faithlessness of man, the faithfulness of God. Now, in troubled times, what did David do? He cried out to God. Notice what he says in the very first verse. The first two words simply say, help, Lord. Help, Lord. That's a wonderful prayer within itself, isn't it? And as I look around our nation today, as I look around our country today, as I look at the mess we're in, you know what I say? I say what David says. Help, Lord. Help. Help, Lord. Amen. Now, somebody's awake out there. Now, it appeared to David, it appeared to David that those who were godly, those who were faithful, they were disappearing from the landscape. It says there, help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. So let's talk about the faithlessness of men for a moment. I want you to look at the speech of these people, the majority of people during David's time. I want you to notice it says there in verse two, they speak idly, everyone with his neighbor. Now, your translation may say that they speak with vanity or they speak with lying. The Hebrew word there carries all of these ideas. It's the idea of evil speaking or useless speaking or false speaking or lying. Their mouths were filled with lies and evil. Like today. Notice what else it says. It says in the next part of verse 2, with flattering lips. And then in verse 3, it talks about, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips. They spoke with flattery. Now listen, flattery is not a sincere compliment. It's not a sincere encouragement. We ought to do that. We ought to truthfully and honestly encourage one another and compliment one another and help one another. That's not flattery. You see, flattery is that which is not true or not completely true. It's often exaggerated and it's spoken not to build up. It's really spoken with selfish motives. Beware of the flatterer. Beware of the one that's dispensing flattery your way. They probably have uh, some other motives behind their speech. Notice what else it says in verse two at the end. They, with flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. They speak with a double heart. They use double talk. They're deceptive. They, they don't say what they mean and mean what they say. They, they use double talk. And then notice what else it says in, the, in verse three. It says in the latter part of verse three, the second part, and the tongue that speaks proud things who have said with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own who is Lord over us. They speak arrogantly. They boast just arrogantly. They just say, look, who's going to say anything about us? Our lips are our own. Who's Lord over us? Who's going to tell us what to do? We're our own people. They are very arrogant and proud and boastful here. And David cries out very boldly. He says, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips and these proud lips. And then drop down to verse number eight. I love how the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates this. Verse 8 says, The wicked wander everywhere, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. Let me read that again. The wicked wander everywhere, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. Isn't that true? I want you to think about for a moment what's celebrated in our country. 
We pay people millions of dollars and give them awards for entertaining us with vulgar language, with nudity and sins galore. People cannot wait to read the next trashy bestseller or see the next filthy movie that comes out. The greatest comedians, if you will, I use that word very loosely in the world's eyes. The greatest comedians are those with what? The filthiest mouths and the filthiest minds. Sin sells. Sin is celebrated in our nation. And the wicked wander everywhere. And what is worthless has no value is exalted by the human race. And so we have people that all they do is they want to read the tabloids and follow the celebrities do all this kind of stuff. Worthless stuff. Now, this kind of speech talked about here, it shows their hearts. You can jot down these references. Matthew 15, 19. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart proceed, listen, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Luke 6.45 says this. Luke 6.45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You want to know what your heart is like today? Well, stop for a moment and think about what you speak about. What you talk about. Because the heart is revealed through our speech. Wearsby was right. He said today people boast about what they should be ashamed of. People boast about what they should be ashamed of. What they should hide and cover. But no, today it's celebrated. It's exalted. It's honored. It's rejoiced in. Evil days. We see the faithlessness of men. Now, we don't stop there because we stop there. We're all just down in the dumps and we just go out and we just throw up our hands at despair. But listen, we're not done. And David's not done. David looks around and he sees an accurate picture. Things are not good. People are not good. Sin is running rampant. We look around. Things are not good. The days are not good. Sin is running rampant. But there's more to the psalm. You see, we look around, but praise God, we don't stop there. We have to do what? We have to look up. We have to look up to our God and see the faithfulness of our God. Now, David has spoken here. The evil generation has spoken. And now it's time for God to speak. And God speaks in verse 5. I want you to notice what it says. I want you to notice it's in quotes. It's what the Lord says. Look at what he says. For the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy, now I will arise, said the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. I think it's pretty obvious when you look at the Lord's words there that those boasters back in those opening verses, they were harming those who were poor and needy. They were they were doing harm to them. And David knew after the Lord spoke that what God said would come to pass. Look at verse six. Now, God just spoke, right? Look at verse six. The words of the Lord are pure words like silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now, what a contrast in this psalm. You have in the beginning man speaking. 
And he's vile and boastful and evil and lying and, and all that kind of talk. And, and, and set against that darkness is the brightness, the purity of God's speech. Pure silver, purified seven times. The dross all removed. Pure words. And as David thinks about the words of the Lord and the faithfulness of God and the truth of what God speaks, he is refreshed. He is renewed. In fact, notice what it says in verse number seven. David speaking again. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. You see, the pure words of the Lord should refresh us. They should renew us. The promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. But this brings us back to the question at hand. Living in a time and place which we do, what does God want us to do? What is it that God wants us to do as believers, as Christians, as those who love God and those who know God and those who love righteousness and holiness? And by the way. May I say that as we think about those who are boastful and arrogant and proud and evil in our world, we don't hate these people. You see, God loves those people so much he sent his son to die for them just like for us. Were it not for the grace of God, guess where we would be today? We'd be in those opening verses. We would. May they come to faith in Christ. May we be used to reach them. God wants us. Listen, God wants us to be ready. Salt and light. That's what God wants us to do in this evil generation. He wants us to be salt and light. Jot this reference down. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. May be familiar to you. May be new. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Listen to what it says. You are the salt of the earth. Now, salt's a preservative. Salt is tasty, right? It adds flavor. But listen to what it says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So we're to be salt. Then he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. Ever seen that growing up here in Sunday school? Hide it under a bushel, no? I'm going to let it shine. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that it gives light to all who are in the house. Listen to verse 16. Now here it is. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men. That is all men. That they may see your good works. And then what house it in? You remember? And glorify your Father in heaven. God wants us to be salt and God wants us to be light. Now, knowing that, I have to ask myself this question. What kind of citizen am I? Because God wants me to be salt and light. Now, regardless of what's going on around me and everybody else, I'm accountable to God. I'm standing before God. God says, I want you to be salty and I want you to be a light for me. I want you to shine brightly for me. I want you to bring glory to me. So what kind of citizen am I? You ask yourself that question. What kind of citizen am I? Am I salty? Am I shining brightly? Now, we can learn a lot from this psalm that we can apply to our lives to be a Christian citizen that makes a difference. And by the way, I want to make a difference, don't you? I don't want to be just part of the problem. I don't want to just be moaning. I I want to make a difference. I want to be part of the solution and not the problem. 
And to do that, I've got to be salt, I've got to be light, I've got to be godly and faithful. Now that seems so general. You say, well, amen, godly and faithful, amen. But let's break it down a little bit more. What does it mean for me to be a Christian citizen who is godly and faithful? What am I supposed to do to make a difference? Well, I think we find it here in this psalm. Three things as a Christian citizen that I can do to make a difference. I want you to look at them with me. First of all, we know that we must pray. You say, well, that's all you got. Just pray. We know that preacher. Listen to first Timothy two, one and two. First Timothy two, one and two says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. But it doesn't stop. Listen. For kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Now, we all want a quiet and peaceful life, don't we? We want that kind of life. He says, I want you to pray. Now, imagine, imagine how different things would be if Christians prayed for our leaders as much as we complained about them. Mm-hmm. He's quit preaching and going to meddling now, hasn't he? Think about it. I'm asking you. Imagine how different things could be if instead of complaining, every time we want to complain about something, we stopped and we lifted up a prayer to the Lord for our leaders. We find it here. What did David do? First thing he did in Psalm 12, he prayed. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. Are you an intercessor? Are you praying for all men and for all those that are in authority above us? For kings and those who are ruling? I mean, from the local level all the way up to the highest level of our land. Are you praying for them? Would to God that he stop us in our tracks, especially when I complain and moan and groan. And I'll do the same thing. I got one of those census surveys. Y'all get one of those this past week? Am I the only one in this county that got one? My mama got one. Your mama got one? Did you help her fill it out? I did. I mean, this thing, how many pages was that thing? And I was bound by law. It said I had, I had to buy a law to fill this thing. I had to tell who lived in the house and, and, and how much we made. I mean, it's on and on and on. And the first thing I did, when I, you know what I did? I complained. That's none of their business what this is. None of their business. But you know what? We were filling it out. Gideon and Gabe were there. And we were filling it out. So I got it out. I got to do it by law. And so I asked you, do you have running water? Yes or no? It said, do you have flushing toilets? Gabe says, I'll go check. (laughs) So he went and checked. We marked yes. But Phyllis's mama and I, we had to suffer. The rest of y'all got off the hook. We complain. We do. Now, we enjoy our freedom. At least I hope you do. Comes at a great cost. And I'm so thankful for many women in the past of those present. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our leaders. I would to God that he would put a stop on our mouths that from here on, we want to criticize and complain. We stop and pray. What a difference it can make. Secondly, we need to follow God's word. 
Now, if you notice what it says in this passage, God's words, we're reminded, are pure and trustworthy. It says there his words are pure like silver. He's one who always keeps his promises. Always. And if we're going to be Christian citizens, we must follow his word. We must obey his word, which really leads to the third thing. And that is this. We need to speak the truth. So we pray, we follow God's word, and then we speak the truth. David is very bold in what he says here. He speaks the truth. God speaks the truth. And and as children of God, if we're a believer, if we're a child of God, God wants our speech to be like his. He wants our speech to be true and pure. Now, his speech, you notice there's likened to pure silver. And here's the interesting thing. He wants our speech to be like pure silver, too. You say, where do you find that? Here's two references for you. Proverbs 10, 20. Listen, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. Proverbs 10, 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. Listen to Proverbs 25, verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. God wants us to speak differently than the rest of the world. God wants us to speak differently from those who do not know him. God wants us to speak the truth. We, we mustn't speak like just the world. We mustn't water down the gospel to fit in or be accepted. Now, that's a great temptation for so many today. We don't want to offend anybody or anybody's feelings. But listen, the gospel is offensive. The Bible declares clearly that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no other way to heaven but the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're to speak the truth, speak the gospel, but speak it in love. But still speak the truth. We must share the gospel and everybody know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We need to speak the truth. So we pray. We follow God's word, but as we follow his path, we live according to godly teaching and principles in God's word. And then we speak the truth. Let others know about the truth. Now, what does the future hold for America? What kind of tomorrow will we face? What will my kids face? What will your kids face, your grandkids What's America going to look like? To be honest, I don't know. I don't know. But as I thought about that, beloved, I thought about the words of an old song. And they came to my mind and what a comfort they were. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. So I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who has tomorrow in his hand. I know who's in control. I know that none of this has caught God off guard, and God's not up in heaven wringing his hand saying, oh, woe is me. God is sovereign. God is faithful. God is holy. God is righteous. God is ruling. God is in control of my life. And I rest in that. I don't know what's coming, at least not here, but I know what's coming after here. Glory in heaven.
My life is in God's hands. Now, I cannot change all that's taking place in our country. I can't and you can't. We can't wave a magic wand. We can't make one decision and change everything. Here's what we can do. We can be salt and light where we are. We can be true Christian citizens who point others to the Lord Jesus. We can be people who pray for our nation and our leaders. We can be people who follow God's word and obey him and live a righteous, godly life. And we can be people who speak the truth. Speak it in love, but speak the truth. I can trust today that my God is in control. I can trust that he is faithful. And so I say today, as we close this service, may God help America, land that I love. Amen? Amen. Father, we pray for our nation today. We pray for our elected officials from here right here in our own local areas to the highest office of our land, our president. Put a stop on our mouths. May those temptations to criticize and complain be prayer prompts where we stop and say, no, I must pray. I must pray because Lord, we realize only you can change things. Only you can truly make a difference. Only you can turn things around. So, Father, help us to be true Christian citizens, to be salt and light in our world. Lord, help us to pray. Help us to follow your word and help us to speak the truth. Lord, even in speaking the truth, may our motive and our heart be love. Now, I pray today. If there's anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ. That they would experience that true freedom that comes in having their sin forgiven. Their names written down. And being given a home in heaven and eternal life. I pray that you'll bless this invitation time. That you'll get much glory to yourself. And I pray that you'd help people to respond to the working of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning. Number 292, O love that wilt not let me go, I rest, a weary soul in thee, 292. And if you're here today, you need to be saved. We'd invite you to come. We'll share Christ with you. Maybe you need to come today and you say, I just want to come and kneel and pray for our country. Pray for America. You may do that. The altar is open as we sing 292, O love that wilt not let me go. Let's stand and sing. The altar is open. You come today, 292.